Welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast, where two buddies from college review and preview Penn State football and the big college games. Okay, it's time for kickoff. Hello and welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast. My name is Caleb. I will be one of your co-hosts today. Phil, how's it going? It's very dreary out today. You know, we're recording this on Thursday night um, down here in Virginia, and, and I know y'all up in Pennsylvania are uh, getting slammed by the hurricane. So uh, y'all staying dry in the house? Yeah, it was raining all day. It's let up a little bit here, more of a mist now, so doing pretty good. Yeah, I think I just was like a real Southerner for that moment. I noticed I used y'all twice in the span of uh, two sentences. <laughs> I had a delicious Chick-fil-A tonight for dinner, so you know that that has to brighten a day. And I know that you, as a fellow Chick-fil-A connoisseur with your wife working for them, uh, can can definitely appreciate that. <laughs> yes, Thursday is my night to go to Chick-fil-A. Becca closes, so we nice. go pretty much every Thursday. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it's just something magical about the food there. I, I like to tell everybody it's God's chicken, so of course it's good. Um, Oh, what else was I thinking with that? Uh, well, I guess the only other thing I was thinking was, you know, Quinn just turned a year old. So congratulations on that uh, relatively recent news, recent, not recent news, you know. And uh, Baby Strunk is a week away from being due. So uh, lots of stuff happening since that time that you bailed me out of my dorm room, uh, almost going, almost getting all smoky from the uh, burnt popcorn. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been a it's been a good long relationship. Yeah. And uh, The Mandalorian is back on Friday. So, yeah, wow. finally. I mean, it's nice that we finally have hit the fall and there's a bunch of stuff to kind of take mo- take our minds off of COVID and not just like constantly uh, thinking about it. And I know that I am desperately looking forward to The Mandalorian, maybe uh, pulling out his blaster rifle and disintegrating an opponent or two, or, you know, at, at the very least, beating the tar out of somebody. Uh, and as a huge Star Wars fan in general, you know, having read books and everything else, I'm curious to see what sort of lore they add into this season as well. Are you going to watch it tomorrow night or are you going to wait? Yeah, at some point I'll get around to it definitely before next Friday, so hopefully sometime this weekend. Nice. Uh, well, hey, Caleb, let's go ahead and let's jump into the college football landscape here. We've got not a lot of news, but the news that we have is pretty big. And we're going to start with arguably the best wide receiver in college football, Alabama wide receiver Jalen Waddell, has been playing lights out this season. However, that season has been cut short. Jalen Waddell broke his ankle this Saturday and is going to be out uh, for the remainder of the season. Caleb, do you imagine that this really affects Mac Jones and Nick Saban's offense at Alabama, or are you thinking that they have enough weapons there like Devonta Smith and, and others that we don't know their names yet? Uh, that are going to pick up where Waddle left off. Yeah, I think they have enough weapons to roll through the rest of their SEC schedule here. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if if they get a you know a second crack at Georgia to have to beat him again in the SEC championship game. Georgia's defense is still really good, I think. So you know, one less weapon will definitely hurt them come that point. And obviously, in the college football playoff, when they're playing teams like Clemson and Ohio State, most likely. Yeah, without a question. I mean, Alabama, I just, whenever somebody's down, I just assume, okay, who's the next first round draft pick that's going to, you know, take their place? They're they're just perpetually stacked. And uh, 
I've got a feeling also that they're not going to miss a, a beat, if anything. Uh, another big piece of news. Now, this could just be some uh, some like attention or some some media baiting, if you will. Trevor Lawrence, quarterback from Clemson, unquestionably expected to be the number one overall draft pick in the 2021 NFL draft, has recently been making some remarks and hinting about the possibility of returning for his senior year at Clemson. Dabo Sweeney said that he would be surprised if Lawrence returned, but he also felt that way about Christian Wilkins whenever he decided to come back for his senior season. Caleb, what do you think? Is this like a genuine thing that you think Trevor Lawrence is wrestling with, or do you think that uh, you know he's just he's just saying it to say it and uh, to keep his team cohesive? Yeah, he might be just saying it to saying it, and I truly do think that some athletes are just so focused that they. Trevor Lawrence may be one of them where he's just focused on Clemson winning the national title this year. And then when, you know, the season ends, whether that's in December or January, that that's when he'll start and turn his focus to the NFL. I'm sure he'll leave, you know, I think Dabo Sweeney's kind of getting tired too with the rumors that he may be going to the Jets with Trevor Lawrence to become their next head coach. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe Trevor Lawrence as long as Adam Gase isn't the head coach next year, which I can't believe the Jets would bring him back. I think Trevor Lawrence will be fine going there, even if he has to pull an Eli Manning situation and get his way traded out. Yeah, that's how I feel too. I mean, if I'm Trevor Lawrence and I'm thinking I'm going to the Jets, right now that organization is a dumpster fire. They have, without a doubt, the worst coach. I mean, if you want to, if you want to take all your talent and totally throw it out, make Adam Gase your head coach. He was very fortunate to have Peyton Manning as his quarterback uh, early on, and that's gotten him two head coaching gigs. And what have we seen since then? We've seen players like Kenyon Drake and Ryan Tannehill go on to look really good. And um, we've seen Devonta Parker really step up. Robbie Anderson in tonight's Thursday night football game. Yeah, so all these guys. And honestly, Caleb, from from the point of, I would just like the Jets to let go of Gase now, not because it's going to make a difference, because that team is is so talent void. Uh, maybe, maybe it can prevent Darnold from having his regression become a permanent feature. But I think just to to send a message to their fan base who is desperate for for something like a halfway decent team. Uh, you know, I think it would set a powerful statement to say, like, no, we're not accepting these results that Gase is giving us. We want high, we want and expect a higher standard, and um, that's my fear for Trevor Lawrence. Is, is I don't want him going into that sort of a situation. I recognize he's so good; he's going to go somewhere where the team is going to have had a terrible season the year before. But some, I, I would hope that he can get to a team that has pretty good. Um, pretty good organizational uh, or a pretty good front office, pretty good organizational structures in place that will allow Lawrence to go into a place that is actually trying to rebuild. Yeah. And I think the jets, if I remember correctly, they had a GM who signed all the free agents and then they fired him before the draft. So they had the new GM coming and do the draft, which is something you never really see. Mm-hmm. And obviously that means the GM isn't tied to Adam Gase as head coach. So I believe he'll be gone. Yeah, hopefully maybe he's gone sooner rather than later. I know they want that number one pick probably, and you know Adam Gase probably gives them the best chance, but maybe you can salvage a little bit of Sam Darnold and get a better draft pick when you inevitably trade him away as well. 
Yeah, exactly right. Because, you know, let's be honest too. Darnold has not lived up to the hype for New York. And so if you can find a way to prevent that regression from being a permanent uh, staple feature of him, you're right. You, You can get a better trade bait or magically, you know, maybe you do win a couple games and you, and well, I don't know. We'll find out. Let's talk more college-based uh, for now. I want to jump over to Wisconsin now. Our only real COVID news of the day, Wisconsin's quarterbacks, Graham Mertz, who had a stellar performance this past Saturday, and Chase Wolf both have tested positive for COVID-19 since the game, uh, and that has resulted in this weekend's game against Nebraska to be canceled, and next week against Purdue is also looking like there is a possibility that it is not going to happen. There were some people who were upset about um, the game being canceled, saying Wisconsin should have to forfeit it. But the reason for cancellation falls in line with Big Ten policy. Um, another key part of the Big Ten rules say that if uh, if you test positive for COVID-19 and that is confirmed, then you're going to be out 21 days. And if a roster hits 5% at any point you got to shut down operations and and so between those policies and and others good call it sounds like from a safety perspective but i'm i'm wondering caleb whenever they do start opening up wisconsin finally has a passer but is this going to set back the team from having from not having their quarterback there and then potentially having to shut down for a week maybe more yeah, well, yeah, there's a couple things here. First off, yeah, like we said, Chase Wolf, the backup, also tested positive. And then uh, Jack Cohn, the former quarterback there, he has a leg issue, I think a broken ankle or something, and he is out for the whole season. So if they do play that game against Purdue, uh, they could be using their fourth string quarterback, essentially, for that game. So that's not good. And also, uh, Wisconsin needs to play six games in order to be eligible for the Big Ten championship game. So this week, Nebraska, obviously, that's one down. Next week, Purdue, if that's two down, that's already down to the bare minimum of six games needed. So, And Nebraska and Purdue, along with Iowa, who uh, we'll get to lost this weekend. So Nebraska and Purdue may be the two toughest challengers for the Big Ten West. And, you know, we're going to – if Wisconsin goes something like 6-0 and and Nebraska and Purdue are 6-1, and but then to get a chance to play Wisconsin, we may be in for some real headaches going forward for the Big Ten Championship. Yeah, so what do you think Scott Frost is thinking with this game being canceled? Um, I'm not sure. You know, we've said that he has – him and Nebraska have probably the toughest schedule of any Big Ten team. So getting a ranked opponent, a top ten opponent off your schedule isn't necessarily the worst thing for Nebraska. But, you know, and having a bye week, do you really need a bye week in week two? I'm not really sure. So – We'll see. We've seen before Nebraska wants to play, obviously, but who knows? Maybe they'll pick up a random non-conference game by this Saturday. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Maybe Western Kentucky has them on the schedule. Uh, One last piece of of news before we start talking about last week's games. College game day. This week is at the Masters. Or I'm sorry, not this week. Um, They're in State College this week. Right. And it is the week of November 14th that they are at the masters, Caleb, you know, I don't really care for golf, but I imagine if you're a golf fan, this is going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, this is pretty cool. You know, college game day could probably do some experimental things since they're, um, 
no fans are allowed at college game day from what I understand. So they were inside a stadium last week inside uh, the Minnesota versus Michigan game. They'll be in happy Valley this weekend. I'm not sure if they'll be inside the stadium again. I would think so. So yeah, get to do something cool. The masters get pushed back. It's usually in April got pushed back to November due to COVID. So this is something that they can do where they, these uh, two sporting events don't normally cross and yeah, cool to see a new, a new venue. There you go. (laughs) All right, Caleb, let's look at, uh, let's look at this past weekend of games. Yeah. We'll start off with a top 25, a big 12 showdown as number six, Oklahoma state remains undefeated and beats number 17, Iowa state 24 to 21 Oklahoma state quarterback, Spencer Sanders returned in this game. This is the first time since he played in that opener against uh, Tulane where they almost lost and he won 20 of 29 for 235 yards one touchdown and two interceptions. Uh, But it was really a battle of the running backs. Chuba Hubbard for Oklahoma State, 25 carries, 139 yards and a touchdown. Brees Hall for Iowa State, 20 carries, 185 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, an overall impressive day on the ground. I personally am bummed. I really liked Illingsworth, and he he started the season as a third-string quarterback. Sanders went down, and then um, I'm trying to – Caleb, I can't remember who was ahead of him. I can't remember either. Okay, cool. Uh, Illingsworth eventually took over there and and moved up the depth chart. Was playing really well. Um, I mean, I didn't I didn't watch this game. I see the two picks, but I also see the twenty for twenty nine. So it looks like Sanders still had a good day. Uh, nevertheless, Oklahoma State just I feel like they were they're sneaky good this year in that I didn't anticipate them getting ranked all the way up to number six coming into this past weekend and. Uh, and they're playing well, Caleb. Yeah, they really are. In this pretty um, crazy season, lots of upsets. You know, if Oklahoma State can finish off the season unbeaten, I think their odds keep increasing that they're going to make the college football playoff. Yeah, unquestionably. Uh, the next game that we have here, Caleb, was, was a game that you and I, we had different takes on during our Who You Got segment. Number nine, Cincinnati versus number 16, SMU. And at the end of the day, the higher ranked team won. The Bearcats won 42 to 13. Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter, eight attempts, 179 yards, three touchdowns on the ground. Not passing, on the ground. Wow. It's like it was a Navy game, you'd think. Because then Robin, uh, running back Jared Doak, 20 rushing attempts, 105 yards, two touchdowns so very impressive performance by Cincinnati as they defeat Shane Bouchelle who went 23 for 44 216 yards one touchdown one pick Caleb your your thoughts after the game Uh, I think the Cincinnati defense is very very good you know 23 of 44 for just 216 yards that's very inefficient especially for someone like Shane Bouchelle in this SMU offense Mm mm-hmm Desmond Ritter, I think one of his runs was like an 80 or 90 yard touchdown run, but still seven carries for about 80 or 90 yards is really, really good, especially for a quarterback. So good for him. He was able to finish his touchdown run, unlike Daniel Jones last week on Thursday night (laughs) where he just tripped over himself, which I thought was really funny. But yeah, the Cincinnati defense is really good. And if, and apparently Desmond Ritter is a dual threat quarterback here. Yeah. Next up, my quarantine, number 14, North Carolina, beating in-state rival 23rd-ranked NC State, 48-21. to Sam Howell went 18 for 29 for 252 yards and a touchdown. He also added a rushing touchdown. And again, it was uh, the running backs 
uh, paved the way for the UNC offense. Javante Williams, 19 carries, 160 yards, and three touchdowns. Michael Carter, 106 yards, and a touchdown. On NC State side, remember their quarterback, Leary, was out for this game, and he's probably out for the season. So Ben mm-hmm. Finley, who did not start this game, came in, sparked NC State for a little bit. And yes, this is Ryan Finley's brother. He went 13 of 20 for 143 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. But one of those interceptions really should have been a touchdown. He hit the running back wide open. The running back bobbled the ball, fell down, popped the ball up in the air, and the North Carolina defender was able to get the interception. So I thought he played pretty well. They brought back in uh, Holloway, the other quarterback, at the end of the game. So I'm not sure if they didn't like Finley because I think he also had a fumble in this game. They didn't like how he was playing or if you know they're just trying to evaluate both quarterbacks going forward. Gotcha. Yeah, I remember Todd McShay being a huge fan of Ryan Finley as a as a value pick in the draft. Had lots of high praise for him as a quarterback. So uh, it was cool seeing Ben Finley getting a a shot to play here. But yeah, not not an overly uh, impressive performance. Obviously, this was an important win for UNC after having lost last week. Definitely, definitely helpful for them to play a ranked opponent, defeat that ranked opponent handedly and get back on hopefully the right track yeah for sure all right one more game here before we jump into the big 10 caleb wake forest upsetting number 19 virginia tech 23 to 16 couple uh key highlights from the game would be virginia tech quarterback hendon hooker who was 17 for 33 223 yards passing one touchdown and three interceptions Yikes. Also had 17 uh, rushing attempts for 98 yards, but those three turnovers, I mean, that that kind of puts the nail in the coffin for you. Wake Forest running back Christian Beal-Smith, very impressive day, 13 carries, 129 yards. Caleb, I'm noticing a theme with college passers, and it could just be the evolution of, of the game, more passing. I'm, I'm just noticing more frequently multiple interceptions by quarterbacks and it could just be that it's been around but just in the last few years I maybe the defensive backs are getting better I don't know what do you think I'm not sure I mean maybe a lot of these guys you know they're starting younger I think in past you know you had to wait till you were a junior at least a sophomore Mm -hmm. before you got action as a quarterback now you're going third in right there as a redshirt freshman or even a true freshman as we've seen at times so maybe you just don't have those college reps you know going from high school to college is a big step forward much tough stiffer competition especially on the defensive side and so I don't, and I also think a lot of these guys really aren't trained to really go past their first read. If their first read isn't open, they panic. They try to run if they're athletic enough to do that. And if not, you know, they probably make bad decisions more often than not. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's get into the Big Ten. We'll start off Friday night, the first game of the Big Ten season. Number 14, Wisconsin crushing Illinois 45-7. to As you mentioned, Graham Mertz had a great game, 20-21 for 248 yards and five touchdown passes. Three of those went to Jake Ferguson. Graham Mertz was, I think, 14-14 at half, so slacking there in the second half with that one incompletion. But, yeah. We won't see a Wisconsin for at least one week, maybe more than that, but pretty dominant start for them. And how terrifying is it to think that Wisconsin, who is known for their ability to ground and pound, now have a quarterback that can actually throw the football? Yeah, pretty crazy to think because I'm not sure they really have a highly touted running back at the moment. 
Yeah, and and really to add to that too, the last Wisconsin quarterback I can think of that was a prolific passer was Russell Wilson. Yeah, and he even transferred in from NC State. So exactly. Yeah. Next one here, another pretty easy win. This time, number five Ohio State winning the second half easily against Nebraska, fifty-two to seventeen. Justin Fields also twenty of twenty-one, two hundred seventy-six yards, just two passing touchdowns. He added a rushing touchdown. His top receivers, Garrett Wilson, seven catches for one twenty-nine and a touchdown. Pretty amazing footwork in the back of the end zone on his touchdown. Chris Olave, six catches for one hundred forty, one hundred and four yards. And you watched this game more than I did, but. You mentioned that Nebraska used both Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey, who I did realize is the third McCaffrey brother. This is not Dylan McCaffrey who went to Michigan. This is the third McCaffrey brother. Uh, They both played some time. You mentioned Luke more of a runner than a passer in this game. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, before we jump into Nebraska and their quarterback situation, I just want to say, too, regarding Justin Field, I mean, watching him is like – it's like watching, I don't know, like a painter with a blank canvas. The way that he was making plays out on the field. I mean, he was already good last year. He was even better in this game on Saturday against Nebraska. He was throwing passes well. He was reading the defenses great. Uh, definitely leading the receivers. The one touchdown pass in the end zone, I believe that one was the one to Garrett Wilson. He threw to Garrett Wilson, who was running in stride across the end zone so not like him running down the field but him running across the field and it was an overall really impressive performance by him passing the football now the run game for ohio state is leaving a lot to be desired trey sermon a graduate transfer from oklahoma eh, he looked okay but i mean i guess you really don't have to worry about running the football if you have a guy like justin fields who can pass like that it would I really enjoy watching Ohio State from a college football fan perspective. Obviously, I hate it as a Penn State fan, but man, Justin Fields is, he's phenomenal. Um, Nebraska and, and their use of the two quarterbacks, I thought did a good job at making it so that Adrian Martinez didn't have to feel like you know he, he was looking over his shoulder to get benched, and Luke McCaffrey was able to still be able to participate in the offense. Like I, like you mentioned, and, and I had told you typically Luke McCaffrey was coming in in more uh, running plays, but they also had a couple of plays in there where, you know, they had both quarterbacks out on the field, one lined up at receiver, one lined up at uh, quarterback, one t- at, uh, at running back, one at quarterback. So Scott Frost definitely doing a lot to put up some different looks. I thought this game, the first half was, was pretty close up until that you know, up until the zebras started making calls for Ohio State, there were some questionable calls as we were going into the half, and uh, I think that just kind of halted any sort of momentum that Nebraska was building. But overall, a really enjoyable game during the first half, and I think the second half again would have been better if the if the zebras would have uh, pumped the brakes on some of their questionable calls. Yeah, I saw. Nebraska had the ball deep in their own territory and it was like 17-14 with two minutes to go. And I knew that Ohio State was getting the ball to start the second half. So I'm like, if Nebraska can just keep it at 17-14, but they had to punt it away. Ohio State scored and then Ohio State scored to start the second half and the game was basically over from there. Yeah, exactly. And and, and it's a big bummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, top 25 battle here between Michigan and Minnesota and Michigan wins 49 to 24. 
Joe Milton, who some have said is Jim Harbaugh's best quarterback that he's had at Michigan, 15 to 22, 225 yards and one touchdown. Again, he added a rushing touchdown. Hassan Reddick, the running back for Michigan, Hassan Haskins, sorry, excuse me there, six carries only for 82 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Michigan had five rushing touchdowns in this game, so Minnesota may have to work on their run defense. Minnesota's Offensive stars, Mohamed Ibrahim, 26 carries for 140 yards and two rushing touchdowns. And Rashad Bateman, who opted back into the season, nine catches for 101 receiving yards. Yeah, and maybe that's what Jim Harbaugh needs this season is a quarterback that can, you know, actually throw the ball. Um, You know, his last quarterback, Shea Patterson, was somebody that I said multiple times last season did not impress me. Joe Milton, he may actually have something with him here. And, uh, like I said, certainly needs it. Got to be a bummer for uh, P.G. Flecker and uh, and the Minnesota Golden Gophers hoping to come into this season building off a really strong 2019-2020 season. But, you know, this is a, a setback for them. Harbaugh picks up a, a very important top 25 matchup win, and uh, we'll see if Minnesota can rebuild from this, and we'll see if Michigan can uh, can take this momentum and really do something this season. For sure. Next up, you know, Rutgers wins. Yes, that is right. Rutgers won against Michigan State 38 to 27. This is Rutgers 21 game conference losing streak. So even longer than the one Arkansas broke in the SEC a few weeks ago. This is the first time winning a conference game since 2017. And uh, Michigan State tried to lose this game pretty much on every single drive with seven turnovers in this game. That's right. Five fumbles, two interceptions. Rutgers, they only won by 11 because they had three turnovers of their own. What a mess. <laughs> yep. I mean, <laughs> I I saw Rutgers ahead, and at first I was, you know, really concerned about them. And, you know, maybe – and we'll talk about Penn State here in a little bit. Maybe I should still be concerned after their pitiful performance against uh, Indiana down the stretch. But, uh, man, seven turnovers by Michigan State. New head coach there, and uh, they've been – it feels like they've been kind of rebuilding the last couple seasons. Um, yeah, I'm I'm still just looking at seven turnovers and, and shaking my head about it. Five fumbles. I mean, that's something that you coach, you teach ball security, something they really got to clean up if they want to be able to do anything this season. Definitely. Purdue had a comeback victory over Iowa 24-20, and that was without their star wide receiver, Rondale Moore, who missed this game for an undisclosed reason, so we're not exactly sure why he missed that game. So David Bell stepped up in his place with 13 receptions for 121 yards and three touchdowns. Big win there. Tough loss for Iowa. I mean, I don't know what happened with the Hawkeyes there, but uh, they need to go back and regroup if they, again, just like what I said with Michigan State, they got to go back and regroup if they want to do anything this season. Yep. And finally, Northwestern blowing out Maryland 43-3. to Pretty embarrassing for Maryland because Northwestern was bad last year. They were 1-8 in the conference. And uh, Maryland's quarterback, Taulia Tungavailoa, three interceptions. Uh, Legendre came in late and went 4-4. Four for four, But it's clear that I think Tungavailoa is going to get uh, – another chance here to be Maryland's quarterback next game. Yeah. I mean, just a, a like you said, a brutal performance for the Terps. Uh, really not just really just not performing, not showing up. Loxley came left Alabama to go and coach Maryland and uh, hasn't seen the turnaround that I'm sure he was hoping for. Gets a Tonga Vailoa and 
likely not getting the performance he wanted in that game either. I don't know if it was just him getting used to something or if it was nerves, but uh, yeah, not a good start for the Terps. Yeah, we could say, we could call it a slow start for the Turtles, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm trying to practice my dad jokes, Caleb. You know, I, I want my kid to think I'm funny. But I also want them to roll their eyes and be like, oh, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> Any tips you have, I will always take on the on those yeah. dad jokes. <laughs> we'll talk later. All right. Caleb, you ready to talk Penn State? Yes. All right. So let's talk about this game. Uh, a game that a game that really just frustrated the daylights out of me. You know, we we were going into this feeling very confident, feeling like Penn State was going to uh, continue the streak. They were what, like 21 and one going into this or 22 and one. Well, mm-hmm. now it's 21 or 22 and two because Indiana unranked upset then ranks number eight, Penn State 36 to 35 in overtime. This is Penn State's first loss to an unranked team since in 2018 against Michigan State. Uh, and that's just a brutal loss to, and especially being ranked in the top 10 at that point. Toward the end of the game, Penn State was up 21-20, and Indiana had one timeout left. All Penn State had to do was pick up a first down, which is only about a yard or two away, and they could run out the clocks. Well, Sean Clifford hands off the ball to Devin Ford, and Devin Ford runs through the interior of the line. And I don't think, I mean, I we'll talk about this in a second, Caleb. But instead of dropping and then letting the team run out the time, he runs into the end zone with just under two minutes left, which gives Indiana enough time to march down the field, which I think at that point was either exhausted or, I mean, something happened because it was a pitiful drive by the defense too uh, outside of outside of our like standard playmakers on, on that side of the ball. Indiana scored the touchdown, forces overtime, and in overtime, Indiana wins the toss. Penn State goes and scores a touchdown with a uh, touchdown pass to Parker Washington. Indiana gets the ball, scores the touchdown, and I like the move by Indiana of going for two in this overtime. They go for two, and Penix, the quarterback from Indiana, runs out to the outside, dives forward. The ball seems to have hit out of bounds and then hit the pylon, the line judge called the two-point conversion good. Replay did not have enough evidence to overturn the call. And so Indiana held on for the win. Kill, we can talk about um we can talk about key players here in a minute, but I want to, you know, I from my viewpoint, I don't understand how if the pylon is supposed to be at the plane, how did that ball cross the plane before hitting the pylon? Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, Mike Pereira was talking about the same thing, too. He's like, well, it could have crossed the plane before it hit out of bounds. But, yeah, he, he hit the side of the pylon that's in the, you know, facing towards the field of play. Mm-hmm. So if the ball hits the ground and then hits that side of the pylon, I'm not sure yet how exactly across the line of scrimmage. So, yeah, two things. I think this is the biggest thing where uh, COVID struck you know, not having all the camera angles we normally have. I don't know. The game was on FS1. It was the 330 game. So I'm not sure if they would have had pylon cam, but pylon cam, I think, would have been able to show definitively whether he made it or not. And we both think he didn't make it. And I think there's like a 90% chance he didn't make it, but obviously you got to be 100% sure to do that, to overturn the call. 
Um, you know, even the WAP failure touchdown on in overtime, you know, we got that one look and that was it, you know. I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe he probably did catch it cleanly, but, you know, the Penn State defender right there, not too surprisingly, said it was an incomplete pass, but mm-hmm. we never really got a second look at it. The touched, uh, the almost touchdown to the tight end at the end of the fourth quarter that Indiana, you know, they scored a play or two later, but there was no real good angle to show that he probably did score. But, um, you know, they didn't call it a touchdown on the field. And again, because we didn't have pylon cam, because the cameras were way up in the stands, he they didn't count it. And, I mean, fortunately for Indiana, they did score still after that. So it's not like they had their touchdown taken away. But I think that's the biggest issue where where uh, where COVID hit in this game. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really frustrating. Um, but Still, my my biggest point of frustration was that we managed to grasp defeat from the jaws of victory there with that four touchdown. I mean, like what happened there, Kill? I have to imagine Jawan Sater or or somebody must have told him, whatever you do, don't score. But I can also see that having been like an oversight where they were just thinking, oh, like they won't let us score there. I don't know, but uh, that was that was one of the most frustrating moments for me during a football game as a Penn state fan, whenever it came to something that we could control things with officiating, you can't control, Mm -hmm. but whenever it comes to stuff that, that our players can, can control that our coaching staff can control, uh, made me, made me want to rip my hair out, which would be pretty tough since I'm bald now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they told him maybe not directly in the huddle, but at some point they told him, Hey, don't score the touchdown. And, Fortunately, um, you know, Devin Forty is our third string quarterback, third string running back coming into this, and he probably just saw the end zone and, you know, instinct took over and he unfortunately scored the touchdown. He did like barely cross. I think, you know, it hit him just a second too late that he wasn't supposed to score that touchdown. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, but yeah, unfortunately, it was a little bit too late. Yeah. And uh, so now as we as we look at this game and, and we look particularly at players, let's start by looking at the offensive side of the football. Sean Clifford and the offense had a really good first drive, went right down the field. Kirk, Kirk Soraka looked like he was coordinating a really good offense. Um, but as time moved on, it, it just started to feel like Ricky Ronnie light. And, you know, I thought I was I thought we were done with that offense. Clearly not. Clifford. Ended up 24-35, 238 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. Uh, Also had 17 carries for 119 yards. He was their leading rusher on the day for one touchdown. Those picks were were honestly frustrating. A couple plays, they put in Will Levis, the backup quarterback, but they quickly took him out for a couple reasons. One, delay of game on the first uh, snap. Second time, fumbled the football away on – you know, I was upstairs uh, getting a drink of water and or something, and and by the time I came downstairs, that play had started and and he had lost the ball. So uh, definitely a frustrating performance by the quarterbacks there. Running the ball, our starter, you know, Noah Kane, three carries for thirteen yards, left the game with a leg injury, and now it turns out he's injured and done for the season. So we've lost Journey Brown, our starter, then Noah Kane, who a very promising. Uh, you know, it, it was like Journey Brown was 1A, Noah Kane was 1B. Devin Ford, 20 carries, 69 yards, one touchdown, so not a particularly great day. Kevon Lee, probably the most interesting looking 
running back from a uh from a rushing standpoint and being able to find open space but even he six carries 35 yards and then Kaziah Holmes who I had a lot of hope for uh wearing number 26 so you know Saquon Barkley Tony Hunt five carries for 16 yards Caleb I mean, I think you know my opinion right now just from how I'm talking about this position group, but are any of these running backs looking particularly exciting right now? No, the running game outside of Sean Clifford wasn't really good in this one. Maybe Indiana's a good run defense, I guess we'll see over the coming weeks, but they said Kaziah Holmes has elite speed, so maybe if he can... uh, break a tackle or two he'll be able to run away from the rest of the defense Mm. i did yeah like i like what i saw from kevon lee yeah and i mean i think devin ford will just get better as he gets more reps but maybe you just gotta rotate these guys a little bit more and limit ford maybe to more around 15 carries instead of the 20 and uh so maybe we can better use his talent yeah because we're only about a year removed from ford's dynamic run uh, that really put him on the map at Penn State against Idaho. And, uh, yeah, 20 carries, 69 yards. Ugh, not not a great look by the uh, by the lawn boys today overall, I would say. Hopefully they can regroup and uh, get the lawn boys rolling again. But uh, in the meantime, another position group here that was, eh, okay. Uh, we had Jahan Dotson at the wide receiver position getting four receptions for 94 yards. He was very clearly... Sean Clifford's favorite target outside of who else but Pat Fryermuth, who had seven receptions, 60 yards, and one touchdown, who looked absolutely dynamic. I mean, again, they continue to call him Baby Gronk. Maybe they'll just eventually call Gronk old Fryermuth. He looked fantastic that game. Daniel George, wide receiver. Honestly, Caleb, I don't know what he is doing on the team. He has he really struggles with his hands. Unless he's a dynamic run blocker, which I don't think I've noticed so far, he just doesn't look that, just hasn't really played that well. Granted, we're also pretty thin at that position right now um, regarding experienced talent. He had three receptions, 29 yards. Lambert Smith, two receptions, 25 yards. Parker Washington, he had uh, two receptions, 12 yards, including the one touchdown in overtime. He was also targeted at other points as well and definitely looked like he has good hands. Devin Ford, three receptions, 11 yards. Uh, Lee, two receptions, six yards. And then Strange, backup tight end, one reception for one yard. Caleb, as I'm, as I'm looking at this offense, and uh, you know we're heading into the weekend of Halloween, I can't help but, but feel like my, my biggest concern for this offense is a curse. It's the curse of number 14. I really feel like Penn State should never let a quarterback play with that number. Anthony Morelli. Anthony Morelli. An absolutely horrific quarterback, in my opinion. A quarterback that I counted down the football minutes for until he would no longer be our starter. That way, Daryl Clark, who was clearly a better quarterback, could take over. Christian Hackensack, or uh, Hackenberg. Number 14 really did not live up to the hype at all. Had a good job, did a good job his first season, did a good job in the pinstripe bowl, but otherwise held the ball too long. Didn't make great reads. Now is Sean Clifford falling into that curse? 
That is my fear because what I saw today or what I saw last Saturday was that Clifford looked like he was playing an awful lot like he did the second half of last season after he got injured. Not making great reads, looking scared. I feel that's my biggest concern right now is what's going to go on at the quarterback position. Caleb, how about you? I'm going to go with running back. You know, the last few years we've lost Saquon. We lost Miles Sanders. Now Journey Brown's down. Noah Keen out for the season. So unfortunately, you know, you're, you're down to basically the third, fourth, and fifth string running backs. Fourth and fifth stringers are true freshmen who haven't gotten much time. And, you know, it's really no fault of their own. I think these guys will be good. And, you know, maybe this will help them speed up their development and they'll be great next year when – uh, Journey Brown, um, hopefully with every health is not an issue and he will be able to make it to the NFL. I wonder if he doesn't play at all with a health issue, if he'll come back to try to improve his draft stock. But, um, so yeah, for me, the biggest concern right now has to be running back, moving back to wide receiver for a little bit. Yeah. The one, one of the catches Daniel George got was like a screen that was thrown way too high that he went up and got, and he probably should have dropped it because that was like a two-yard loss. So mm-hmm. one of the times he wanted to use his hands, he it was a negative play for the offense. Um, but yeah, he had a drop in there. So I'm hoping we saw a little flash from uh, Lambert Smith, mainly just on the one drive. He had a big, I think both of his catches were on the one drive, and he also got uh, some uh, defense to be defensive pass interference on a, on that same drive. So we saw a little flash from him. We saw, again, Parker Washington scoring the overtime touchdown. Cam Sullivan Brown did not play in this game. Uh, James Franklin said there was an inconclusive uh, COVID test that did turn back negative, so not a positive test, which is good. And the rumors are, the speculation is that it may have been Cam Sullivan Brown since he was listed as a starter for this game and didn't play a single snap. So, hmm. so yeah, with Lambert Smith, if he can continue to grow, Parker Washington can continue to grow, and Sullivan Brown can come in, maybe we'll start seeing less and less of Daniel George, hopefully. Yeah, and, and really, I would like to see Sean Clifford trust these receivers more. I get it. They're new. You don't have the relationship with them. But, I mean, the defense very uh, for Indiana very quickly picked up on if we block Fryer, or if we cover Fryermuth and Dotson, he has nobody to throw to, even though there were points where the other receivers were getting open or Clifford was in a position to, uh, to move the ball down the field more. That Yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty frustrated by – uh, the offense especially. That being said, the defense wasn't spectacular uh, either. The secondary struggled mightily, but they were very fortunate by the fact that Phoenix is about as accurate as I am at quarterback, um, which is not very. You know, he he was very frequently off target. We saw a lot of passes get overthrown. And um, what frustrated me in this game too was that we had, we had a lot of talent at defensive back. We have Lamont Wade, Jaquan Brister. We have Tariq Castro-Fields. But the best-looking defensive back was Joey Porter Jr. Nothing against Joey Porter Jr. He has the name pedigree, and he is a phenomenal football player. But I really expected the rest of the defensive backs to step up. Yes, Lamont Wade gets the one interception. However, overall, it just felt like whenever Phoenix needed to make key throws, he was making them. The linebackers, Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons was catching a lot of flack on Twitter for uh, at, for like tweeting about what's going on in this game and and people saying, "Oh, like you abandoned us and stuff like that." I mean, Caleb, you and I we're not as upset with Micah Parsons about that. We get it; it's a family move. He he has the potential to change the trajectory 
for his family there. And, you know, we still had a five-star linebacker in Brandon Smith. Linebackers were fine. Lukita gets called for targeting. Caleb, what were your thoughts on that targeting foul? Um, I think it's just one of those unfortunate ones. It's by definition, I think it was the right call and it stinks to have him miss the first half now of the Ohio state game because of that. But yeah, like we said, the linebackers were fine. I think they definitely need to step up against Ohio state because they weren't spectacular. And we I think we need them to be spectacular. So we need these other guys to step up, but I think uh, Lance Dixon will should be able to step in fine for a half and with Lukita coming in in the second half. And we got to tell the announcers that it's Lukita, not Lukita. Yeah. I was frustrated, you know, I from the uh targeting standpoint because the ball carrier was going down and it looked like Lukita was not trying to lead with his head. It looked like he was trying to avoid and, you know, he hit. For me, and I think it was one of the announcers that said this, it might have been Gus Johnson, uh, saying that there should be like a tier of targeting calls, kind of like what they used to do with a face mask call. And I think that I think that that wouldn't be the worst thing on earth because, you know, I see that hit and I don't think like, oh, he was like, he was head hunting. I think, oh, that player was going to the ground. His head's lower. What is a linebacker taught to do? Tackle low. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's something they can, maybe that's something that the NCAA can revisit in the off season. Obviously they won't be this season. Um, otherwise, you know, we, we still got a great performance from Shaka Tony Origin or early in the game, he went down with an injury, but very fortunate it was not serious. He had two sacks on the day. There was one drive where he just absolutely took over, and that was the point whenever I thought, wow, Penn State's going to win this game. Joey Porter Jr. had a sack very early on whenever they blitzed him from the corner position. I was a big fan of that. Wade did have the interception, did have the fumble recovery, but whenever whenever we were in those late moments, it kind of reminded me of uh, – of Oruwarie, where you know it's late in the game, we need our veteran defensive back to step up, and it, it just didn't happen this game. So I don't know if that's a, a thing where Brent Pry needs to put him in better positions, or if it was just where you know Phoenix managed to have a a good game from the quarterback position or had good plays there. But I expected more out of our defensive backs than what we actually ended up getting collectively, Caleb. Yeah, that drive where Tony had both of his sacks, that should have been the game-ending drive. Fortunately, we scored the unnecessary touchdown, and that led to the comeback victory. Um, I read somewhere, I think this is by ESPN's uh, pass rush win rate, which is basically beating your opposing offensive lineman in two and a half seconds or less. Shaka Tony was number one. Jason Owe was number two in the entire country this weekend. So mm-hmm. they crushed it. Unfortunately, that only led to two sacks, but I think that it was part of why going into that final drive that Penix was well under 50% completion percentage. Part of that, you know, I think a couple of drops in there too, but I think Penix had to throw the ball earlier than he wanted to. And then... I think you can get on the defense for allowing that game winning touch or game tying touchdown drive at the end of the fourth quarter. But mm-hmm. other t- times I think he was just perfectly placed throws. You know, the one Penix was about to get sacked by both Tony and oh, um, Jason Owe. He was about to get sandwiched real hard and he somehow got off the throw just in time. And, you know, the defensive back got his hand in there, but it was just off by like, you know, half an inch or something. And there was a couple other throws where, he, I, I don't know if he got lucky or if he just has some sort of second gear that he turned on that he didn't have for the first three and a half quarters of this game, but 
Um, unfortunately, they were able to tie the game and force overtime. Yeah, which was, like you said, you know, definitely uh, frustrating there. Definitely would have liked to have seen the defense ha- have shown up a little bit more there too. Uh, though it is also worth pointing out that at least one of those scoring drives by Indiana were a result of a bad Clifford interception that gave the defense a really short field after they had just gotten off. So, you know, that none of none of the none of the three areas of the of the football team looked great, and that includes special teams. Outside of Jordan Stout, friend of the show, special teams just kind of looked like a nightmare. Dotson fumbled a punt, and the only reason why we didn't lose the ball and he was bailed out was because of a penalty where the Indiana player went out of bounds and then came back in bounds and touched the ball. That's a no-no. You can't go out on your own and, and come back in. Actually, you may not even be able to go out, period. So that was not good. Lamont Wade then, on a kick return, decides to take the ball out of the end zone and then gets tackled to, like, the 10. It was a very dumb decision whenever he could have just called a fair catch. And, you know, I know I'm being pretty tough on the players right now, and and usually I'm very supportive of them. I think I'm just really frustrated because we know the talent that's on this team, and that talent didn't show up whenever we needed it to. If if we need more proof, Jake Pinninger, who had a not great first year as the kicker, then a good second year, in his third year kicking, missed a 27 and a 42-yard field goal. So that's two field goals he missed there, which would have made – made it so we wouldn't have even had overtime period stout attempted a new uh career long and really or not yeah a new career long and would have been the longest field goal in penn state history with 57 yards but it comes up just a yard short however it's worth pointing out that that kick was accurate mm-hmm. so for me I think Stout looked like the best kicker out there. Penninger was 5 for 5 on extra points, though. Uh, Stout, was he only had a 39.7-yard average, but he was bombing those punts. Need a better job on the coverage there. He had a long of 49 yards. I mean, Caleb, what what do we do here? I mean, I think you got to give Penninger a second chance. Um, the 27-yarder hit the post. It was on the far hash, you know. So I get those are hard, and it's in kind of close. But obviously, you got to make those ones. The 42, he just completely mishit. He looked to draw it in, but didn't kick it out even far enough. Obviously, Stout was, you know, you can't ask for much more on that 57-yard try. It looked like um, if you saw the Panthers game last weekend, uh, their kicker slide tried like a 65-yarder, and he basically did the exact same thing. It was just a yard short from tying the game. This one would have given us the win. And as we'll get to, we'll talk about, we'll merge this in with coaching. Mm-hmm. Why not uh, run another play before that stout field goal? There's eight seconds left. Mm-hmm. He ran a terrible play, the play before, just to run off a few seconds, which is fine. But, um, you know, I looked over on the right-hand side. You had three receivers over there, including um, Pat Fryermuth. He was on a linebacker. The linebacker was lined up pretty deep, considering if you just have Fryermuth do, like, a flat route even, you don't even need him to do, like, run up five yards. If he just does Mm -hmm. a flat route and the other two guys just run a deep route and get the cornerbacks off of him, he probably catches that ball and gets out of bounds and gains three yards, and then those three yards, and Stout makes the field goal, and everyone's happy because we won the game. Run one more play, get off you know, three more seconds, even if you have to throw an incompletion like you did the time before. At least I mean, we know Indiana just knelt the ball and for some reason didn't even try a Hail Mary, but what if you know? What if that was a guy, a quarterback with a better arm that could have done the hammer you know it's a 57 yard try so the ball is right around midfield 
So it's easily could have been a Hail Mary try that if Indiana had done that and caught the touchdown, a game-winning touchdown, I think we would have been even more annoyed at that loss. Yeah, and, and you know, you brought up a point that I had forgotten about too was the the bad, bad call to – it was like a fly route, I think, that uh, Clifford was throwing to. All they needed was like a three- or four-yard out, out route or, like mm-hmm. you said, put Fryermuth on the flat route, and that, that would have solved it. So, you know, that was frustrating. Um, obviously also frustrating that Ford scored that last touchdown. And I am inclined to think that that was a coaching thing. I think that if, if I am Juwan Sider, the running backs coach, or if I'm James Franklin or Kirk Soraka, I am making sure that I am over communicating the importance of whatever you do, do not score here. Do not score. That will give them too much time. What you need to do is pick up the first down, get down on the ground and we'll celebrate the win. But uh, just didn't happen. Yeah. You might feel a little bit better since uh, Todd Gurley did the same thing and cost the Falcons a game last week, too. Yes, the one and six Falcons. Uh, I Hopefully Penn State doesn't end up like that. Yeah. And what are then, your thoughts on Holmes and Lee? Yeah, it's just, I know Devin Ford, as we said, I don't know if he's a 20-touch, 20 20-carry 20 running back, but you hadn't really, Holmes had that early run, um, he, he was on before Kevon Lee, if I remember correctly. And mm-hmm. he, it was initially called a fumble, but it was rightfully overturned. And I don't think he came back on until this drive where Penn State is driving down 14 to 20 and they run the ball right to Holmes. He picks up, you know, about half the yards run again, picks up like a yard runs again, gets it to fourth and one. Then they bring in Kevon Lee. They run it again and they lose a yard and that gets, Kind of forgotten because Penn State gets the ball back easily, scores the touchdown to take the lead, and then we have plenty of other decisions and other topics to talk about. But what if that had been Penn State's last real chance to score a touchdown and and take the lead in this game? You know, running the ball with two true freshmen who before that, you know, that's four carries. They had 11 carries. Before that had seven carries the whole game. And that's who you're trying to pick up 10 yards with on four. I know Kirk Soraka is a running uh, offensive coordinator. I, I saw back at Minnesota last year, they ran the ball something like 60% of the time, which is a good philosophy if you have good running backs. And Penn State does have good running backs, even though the top two are injured right now. But it seemed a little curious to try the two true freshmen who had barely touched the ball that much during the game to run them four straight times and not trust Sean Clifford, even with his feet to get the first down for you, especially when he had a hundred yards rushing. Right. And and so, you know, now as we take all these things and sort of wrap them into final thoughts, I mean, Caleb, for me, as, as I look at this game, it just leaves me with a ton of questions and a ton of concerns. And I know it's the first game I'm probably overreacting, but Hey, that's what crazy fans do. And uh, I am an unabashed crazy fan for Penn state football. My first one is if Phoenix plays like that against our secondary and making those plays whenever it's needed, what on earth is Fields going to do to us? Because Fields looks like he has only gotten better. If that was at all possible, I'm, I am very concerned about our secondary. The last time that we started 0-2 was Bill O'Brien's first year, which was back in 2012. I mean, this team has a lot of mistakes they need to clean up. Clifford needs to work on his decision-making, needs to trust his wide receivers more. The defense needs to work well and work more cohesively as a unit. Stout needs, for me, I know you want to give Penninger another chance. Uh, For me, and it's probably just that I'm frustrated right now, I think Stout needs to take over those kicking duties. 
I saw enough from him last year and this year to think that he's the best kicker on that roster. We've got other talents at punter that we can use there. Uh, another thing, I know Jason Owe is being projected as a first rounder. I know that he was number two in that pass in uh, the pass rush stat that you mentioned earlier. But I want to hear his name called during a game. Like, I want to actually hear, like, oh, Jason Owe on the sack or Owe on a tackle for the loss. I just didn't hear his name as, like, this dominant defensive lineman that I was anticipating. Also, where was P.J. Muster for this game? I did not hear his name once. He was so good last season. Didn't hear it at all. A lot of things to get cleaned up there. From the coaching standpoint, Kirk Soraka needs to call the offense more like he did his first drive because outside of that first drive, it was Ronnie Light, and I am done with Ricky Ronnie. I thought I thought Soraka was going to take us in a different direction. I'm still hoping that he will, but uh, yeah, need to. I need to see a lot more growth if we're going to have any sort of a show on Saturday. I mean, I, at this point, Caleb, I'm hoping my son's going to be born on Saturday. That way, I don't have to watch it because I am fearful. I'm scared of what I'm going to see Halloween night. I know it's very pessimistic, and I hate feeling that way. But I mean, it was just, it was so frustrating for me during that game. Caleb, what are your final thoughts on the Penn State game? Yeah, just to talk about yours for a second, I completely agree. The secondary needs to be the biggest improvement, I think, in order to stick with Ohio State at all in this game. Yeah, like you said, Penix is nothing compared to what Justin Fields is. So Lamont Wade and the rest of the secondary there needs to step up if we have any chance in this next game. And obviously, you got to clean up the turnovers. I don't think Penn State's going to turn the ball over three times again in any game this season or at least I hope not you know three turnovers and three missed field goals so if they can clean a couple of those things up you know I think they're going to be the Penn State team that's you know really good a top 25 team for the rest of the season but um, obviously that doesn't mean they can't start the season 0-2 with their next opponent but overall Yeah. yeah tough loss you outplayed Indiana the total yards at the end of the game were like 480 to 211 I mean, obviously, some of the low Indiana yardages, like you said, the one touchdown drive Indiana had was four yards. But other than that, other than that last drive of the game, you know, they really held Indiana down four yards drive that led to one touchdown. Uh, and another one of Clifford's interceptions led to a field goal for Indiana. So that's 10 points right there off of turnovers. If you take those out, obviously, Penn State wins the game rather easily. So there's only one other scoring drive that Indiana had before the last drive of the of the game of the regulation and so all these things like i mentioned three turnovers three missed field goals and you know they still probably won the game technically they lost the game you know it goes up as a loss indiana gets the two-point conversion yada 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 but you know i think they still won the game i really wish going back to that call and I know it's never going to get implemented because it's a very rare thing. I wish they could have just redone the two-point conversion try. I think that would have been the most fair thing. Um, I don't really think the line judge there thought that he scored the two-point conversion. He just saw the pylon flying and saw that the ball hit it. So he's like, oh, he must have scored. And then you have to overturn that, which I think is just, you know, I don't want, I don't know if that's the most fair thing to Penn State. So you know, it's never going to happen, but I think the most fair way to would have been to redo, retry that two point conversion. Yeah. I mean, Caleb, can we talk about something that you brought up first? And I'm a huge fan of ever since you brought it up last season, putting a timer on replays. I mean, it was brutal on some. Yeah. I didn't mind the last one, you know, take as much time as you need it. Literally the game's over no matter what, if you call them short, 
Penn State wins. If you call them in, Indiana wins. So whatever, take take 10 minutes on that one. Make sure you get the call right. But yeah, some of the other ones, you know, the 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 um Kaziah Holmes fumble, that was completely unnecessary, you know. That one took even that one was kind of short, but that one didn't need to take as long as it did. Right. So, you know, overall, I mean, again, I know that I sound really pessimistic right now, and and I hope the listeners, you know, hope you can forgive me for that. And, and I'm hoping that I won't feel this way uh, throughout the season. But, I mean, I, I just felt really disappointed, and, and I'm hoping that in the future with this season, we play to the level of talent that we actually have on our roster. Yep. <sighs> All right, let's get into some uh... – other news other than the game. First off, we knew that wide receiver John Dunmore had left the program for personal reasons earlier this offseason, and now he has entered the transfer portal. No indication yet as where he will be transferring to. But in good wide receiver news, four-star wide receiver Anthony Ivey has committed to Penn State. His other choices were Pitt, Arizona State, and Auburn, so pretty much all over the country. And he has decided Penn State. He is from right near here, home as Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So, you know, good to see bringing in more talent. You know, we we liked what we've seen in flashes from some of these guys we said, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert Smith, and others, Jahan Dotson, obviously. So it'll be good to though keep bringing in these top wide receivers. As because as we've seen, they had a tough week this week, some of these wide receivers that former Penn Staters in the NFL, Chris Godwin breaking his finger and he's out for at least a week, probably two Allen Robinson in the concussion protocol and KJ Hamler has barely played this season, but Penn state does have some talented receivers in the NFL. So they should be able to use that in recruiting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Kel, but just felt really cathartic and real quick too. I just felt really cathartic to get all that stuff off my chest. Uh, yeah, that was a, that was a big signing at the wide receiver position because we do need it with the, with the loss of John Dunmore going into the transfer portal for personal reasons. Um, picking up Anthony Ivy is going to be a, a good step forward for us. And we keep Pennsylvania talent in Pennsylvania. I like that a lot too. You know, um, players like Terrell Pryor, who we really missed out on. I mean, I'm glad that we were able to keep that. I'm glad we were able to keep him here. Kelby, you want to talk about uh, this upcoming Saturday? Yes, this week, if you don't know, now you know, they play Ohio State primetime, 7.30 on ABC. College game day will be there in the morning. Obviously, no whiteout, but I saw some recruits are going to have their own whiteout virtual parties, so that'll be cool to see. And I saw the also the um, public address announcer team, the MC, they said they will be playing the music and everything still at the stadium to hopefully, you know, do their best they can to get into Justin Fields head and hopefully be able to give Penn state some sort of home field advantage for the game. Yeah. I mean, like you said, hopefully Uh, Ohio state goes into this game, leading the series 20 to 14. They've won three in a row, including last year's game of 28 to 17. One of the closer games for Ohio state, uh, last year, although it wasn't close until I think closer toward the end of that. And, uh, you know, usually this is a, a pretty, uh, in, in recent years, it's been a pretty good game at one well, recent years has been a really good game, uh, quite a few times, but I'm not getting that sense right now. Penn state dropped 10 spots in the polls, dropping to number 18 in the AP number 17 in the coaches poll, uh, Dropping 10 in both spots. And, Caleb, my big concern is that 
I think we are tied with Alabama for the longest, or we are number two right behind Alabama for most consecutive weeks in the top 25. My concern is if we lose this weekend, we're going to, we're going to be outside the top 25. Our streak will end, which will be a big bummer. Yeah. I think Clemson, Ohio state are also up there for your longest streaks in the AP poll top 25, but yeah, they're right up there. Oklahoma had a longer streak than them, but they were obviously out earlier this year. Yeah. I think it depends, you know, Georgia only fell one spot when they lost to Alabama by 17 points. So if Penn State can keep this close, you know, a one-point loss in overtime to a now-ranked Indiana team, so you got to hope Indiana wins again next week, I would think. And if you can keep it close against Ohio State, not necessarily win, you know, maybe they still hang in there around number 22 to 25 in that range. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. All right, Keel, let's go ahead and let's look uh... – you know, that that's the past. And like Elsa, we have to let it go. And so I am I am choosing to let go of the past of the Indiana game looking and looking past the mistakes of the Indiana game. I am going to try to at least for the next uh, five minutes look past my concerns for the Ohio State game. And uh, let's look at our quarantines here. You know, these are two teams that we picked going into the uh, quarantine back whenever we weren't sure if, well, back whenever we thought Penn State wasn't going to play in the fall. And uh, so, you know, it's still fun to to watch and see how they grow. My quarantine, Oklahoma, had a good game defeating TCU 33-14. to Spencer Rattler had a really good game, 13 for 22, 332 yards and two touchdowns. Pro Football Focus currently has him currently has his rating at a 90.1. That is second among all freshmen. I believe he's either first or second in touchdown passes uh, beyond 20 yards. So, you know, he is putting together a nice season. Yeah, he's had some some struggles. Welcome to being a freshman. But, you know, he he is looking good. Running back TJ Pledger, 22 carries, 122 yards, one touchdown. Definitely uh, paving the way on the ground for them. And wide receiver Marvin Mims, four receptions, 132 yards, two touchdowns. Now this week they had to uh, play Texas Tech at Texas Tech, and Oklahoma leads that series all time, 21 to six. Last year, winning 55 to 16. That's eight wins in a row against Texas Tech. By the way, after having been previously unranked after a couple disappointing losses, Oklahoma has cracked the top 25 again, being ranked number 24 in both the AP and the coaches poll. So it is looking like Oklahoma is putting some pieces back together. Lincoln Riley is being a great coach as expected. And Spencer Rattler is starting to get more comfortable as the offense starts to settle in TJ Pledger at running back in particular. I'm thinking of there. Yeah. Ever since TJ Pledger took over, I think Seth McGowan may have been hurt, but ever since he took over, he's been the better running back. And I think he's helped settle down that offense, settle down Spencer Rattler and Oklahoma has been playing more complimentary football ever since. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm overall, it was a it was a really good statement win for them, and they're rewarded with a number twenty four placement in the polls. How about your quarantine, Caleb? Yep, we talked about them earlier, so I'll keep this pretty short. Good bounce back victory after that upset against Florida State the week before, and you know I think it's good to have a quarterback like Sam Howell who can play great football. He has the uh, true freshman all time touchdown record 
which is pretty impressive considering uh, Trevor Lawrence played as a true freshman in the same conference just a year before him. So that's good to have, but this team is best overall when they have a running game going. And with Michael Carter and Javante Williams leading the way, that's what they need to do. They need to be um, a balanced team between running and passing. I think Sam Howell can win them a game if that's what it comes to, but they're at their best when they're running the ball well and throwing the ball well. This week, they play at Virginia, and North Carolina leads this series all-time. 64 wins, 57 losses, and four ties. UVA did win last year, 38-31. to I think that may have been in overtime, and they are on a current three-game winning streak in the series. Um, North Carolina is ranked 15th in the AP poll. They actually moved down one spot despite their win this year, and 13th in the coaches' poll, uh, same as last week. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you know, UNC is is starting to pick up after a really disappointing loss. Mac Brown still doing great things with the Tar Heels overall. I, yeah, I was impressed by uh, UNC being able to pick back up. I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to in this game. All right, let's move on to who you got. Mm-hmm. Let's do it, Caleb. Last week, we bounced back a little bit. You won 7-2, and two, I won 6-3, and three, so that gives you the lead on the season. 47 wins, 2, 46 wins for me. First game, Memphis at number 7, Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a touchdown favorite. Memphis is 3-1 and one on the year. They beat Arkansas State, UCF, and Temple, but they have a loss to SMU. Phil, who you got? You know that UCF win in other years would, would really make me tempted to pick Memphis. Uh, however, you know, UCF isn't having as great of a season. Cincinnati played dynamically last week and, uh, you know, they're number seven for a reason. The Bearcats are going to do great things. And I, I think they are going to, uh, take care of business and beat Memphis. How about you, Caleb? Who you got? Yeah, I'm taking Cincinnati as well. Bet against them last week. I was wrong. Their defense is very good. Memphis is down their top running back and wide receiver threat for the season. So I think Cincinnati again will be able to shut them down. So expect a lower scoring game, which we don't often see in the AAC and Cincinnati to win. Yeah. with Yeah. It, it should be a good game. I think it's one of those games that's going to be underrated uh, simply because, you know, Memphis being in the AAC and uh, Cincinnati being a, a small, a smaller school. It's going to get overlooked, but mm-hmm. I, I think it'll be a, I think it'll still be a fun game to watch. Let's look at the next game here, Caleb. We have number 16, Kansas, at West Virginia. Uh, unranked West Virginia is a three-and-a-half-point favorite, and the big reason why could be the Kansas State quarterback, Skylar Thompson, is out for the season. However, the backup did come in and play pretty well. Caleb, who mm-hmm. you got? I'll go with the odds makers and pick West Virginia for the upset. West Virginia has played pretty well this season, too, and I think they have a bright future ahead of them in the Big 12. And yeah, this game without Skylar Thompson, like you said, the backup came in and played well. He plays a similar style, I think. And so I think this will be a close game. But, you know, again, not having your quarterback, West Virginia playing at home, I'll take them to this game. Phil, who you got? Yeah, I think the Mountaineers are going to come in here. And and I mean, as I say that, I, I am thinking about how that backup for Kansas State played. But I just like the cohesion for West Virginia going into this week. And it is a home game for them. I'm with you on this. I also have West Virginia. All right, next up, maybe two of the more the most disappointing teams on the season so far. LSU, unranked, is a three-point favorite at Auburn, also unranked. Um, we didn't talk about them. LSU beat South Carolina 52-24 to in their last game. Auburn beating Ole Miss 35-28. to 
on a, there was some controversy in there and Lane Kiffin was fine for retweeting about the controversy, even though the SEC admitted their mistake. Phil, who you got? I mean, as I look at this game, as I look at this game and I see the the previous week, you know, one, you, you're right. LSU, very disappointing this season. They've lost a ton of starters. They beat South Carolina 52 to 24 decisively. Um, but for whatever reason, I'm more impressed by Auburn's win over Lane Kiffin and uh, and Ole Miss. So I am going with Auburn in this game, and and I'm hoping that Bo Nix can step up. I mean, I'm, I'm really not a believer in him anymore either as a quality quarterback, but yeah, I like Auburn in this game. Caleb, who you got? I'm going with LSU. There are reports that uh, Miles Brennan may be back for this game. We'll see. But um. You're right. LSU, even though they won big and only gave up 24 points, their defense still wasn't great last week against South Carolina. So I expect this to be a high scoring game. You know, uh, Bo Nix to finally have a good game at quarterback. But I think Bo Nix will take the loss on this one and LSU will make it two wins in a row. Coach Oh. Uh, let's look at this next game here, Caleb. We have Texas at number six, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State only a three and a half point favorite. Now, Texas had has just beaten Baylor 27 to 16 after back-to-back losses to Oklahoma and TCU. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, and that scoreline's a little misleading. I think Baylor uh, trailed in that game something like 27 to 3. So Texas controlled that game rather easily, but not the strongest offensive performance for Sam Ellinger in Texas in that game. And Oklahoma State's defense is very good, really legitimate. So I will take Oklahoma State to remain undefeated. Phil, who you got? I'm I'm impressed by Oklahoma State. Uh, Chuba Hubbard. I mean, come on, he's he's one of the best backs in the country. Even though he has had some rough games as of, or even though he's had some rough games earlier in the season, I like Oklahoma State in this game as well, Caleb. Next up, moving back to the AAC, Navy at number twenty-two, SMU. SMU thirteen and a half point favorite in this one. Since that ugly loss that Navy had to Air Force, they beat Temple, they beat Eastern Carolina, but they did lose to Houston. Who is a good team? Um, it was kind of close in that game. Phil, who you got? If Navy can, you know, do what they usually do, which is long sustained drives and keep the other offense off the field, I think Navy will win this game. However, I don't think Navy is going to be able to do that. I think SMU is going to come into this game. They're a 13 and a half point favorite. I think they're going to go and they're going to shut down Navy. And I think they're going to win by at least the spread. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I'm taking SMU too. Not terribly impressed by those wins over Temple and ECU in this one. And I think the loss to Houston and Air Force, among other teams, is more indicative of how Navy season is going and will continue to go. So I will take the Mustangs in this one. All right, Caleb, let's look at at yours and I are like, you know, I've started to realize like, you know how there are some movies that are like cult classics, you know, like Napoleon Dynamite and stuff. I think that's really how we should describe Western Kentucky, the the cult classic team of the podcast or something. Uh, Western Kentucky Hilltoppers playing at number 11 BYU, who is a 29 point favorite last week. Western Kentucky was managed to eh, yeah, managed to slide by squeak by and uh, barely beat the perennial powerhouse of Chattanooga. 13 to 10. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, Western Kentucky looked terrible in that game. They just squeaked by, as you said. Um, 
who who's their transfer quarterback in again for Western Pegram from yep. Maryland. Yeah, he did not start the game. I think he was benched in the previous game, but he came back and I think led them to the comeback victory because they were down 10 to 6 for a good stretch in that game. So Pigram was able to lead them to victory, but BYU's been crushing teams this week, especially um, inferior opponents in Western Kentucky this season has been an inferior opponent. So I will take BYU. Phil, who you got? Uh, I mean, I, I have BYU. What is it? Zach Wilson's the quarterback there playing really yep. good football. He could be a dark horse Heisman contender. Uh, BYU's 29 point favor for a reason. I, the Hilltoppers just haven't been playing well this year. The defense hasn't been that impressive. And obviously the offense hasn't been either. So I think the Cougars are going to uh, take care of business and, and defeat the Hilltoppers. Next up, my quarantine, number 15, North Carolina, six and a half point favorite at Virginia. Virginia is just one and four on the season. They beat Duke, but I've lost to Clemson, NC State, Wake Forest, and Miami. Phil, who you got? I mean, what a tough start for the season if you're UVA. Clemson, NC State, and Miami. Like, uh, That being said, I don't think UVA is a very good team this year. I don't think that the magic from last year carried into this year much at all. And so uh, I think the Tar Heel- Heels continue to build after the loss from uh, two weekends ago, and, and I think they win this game handedly. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, that six and a half point spread seems very low. I wonder if Vegas knows something we don't. But yeah, I'll take North Carolina to win and cover that spread easily. All right, and let's look at uh, my quarantine here. We have number 24, Oklahoma, a 14 point favorite at Texas Tech. I'm sorry, at Texas Tech. Texas Tech is two and three on the season, uh, having beaten West Virginia and, oh, Caleb, you put H. I can't remember what that is. Oh, yeah, that's right. Houston Baptist. Caleb, we haven't talked about Houston Baptist in weeks, man. I mean, uh, unfortunately, Bailey, Zappy, and Houston Baptist only played four games this year, so they have been done for a couple weeks at this point. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, he was like the leading quarterback, you know, by a lot of these metrics when when their season ended. So they'll pick their season up in the spring. Okay, well, you know, let's go Houston Baptist. I'll be rooting for you this spring. Uh, in the meantime, Texas Tech has also lost to Texas, KSU, and ISU, and. Uh, I got to be honest with you, Caleb. I think we both know how this is going to end, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Who you got? Yeah, I'll take Oklahoma. You know, Texas isn't ranked at the moment, but, you know, they lost to Texas. Kansas State's a ranked team. Iowa State's a ranked team. Oh, look, Oklahoma's a ranked team. So mm-hmm. I guess Texas Tech will lose. Phil, who you got? Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma kind of reminds me of my last car. I put the key in, and I have to crank it a couple times before it finally would start, and I feel like that's what happened with Oklahoma this season. After having to crank it a couple times, it's finally revving again, and so uh, I like the Sooners in this game. And finally, number three, Ohio State. 12-point favorites at number 18, Penn State. There will, unfortunately, be no fans in Happy Valley for this matchup. Phil, who you got? Uh, uh, hmm. Sloppy performance last week. No fans in the stands. Playing Justin Fields, Heisman contender, one of the top quarterbacks in the country that has a phenomenal running back, or I'm sorry, a phenomenal uh, wide receiver in Olave. Garrett Wilson is emerging as a great wide receiver there too. Has a good running back with Trey Sermon. Playing against a defense that couldn't stop Phoenix in Indiana. Um, I'm not optimistic at all about our chances. So I got Ohio State winning this game, and I don't have it being close. I, I, I'm i sure Penn State could play up, and, you know, 
I'm sure that that they all listen to this podcast and are thinking, oh man, what's Phil think about this game? And so maybe this score will inspire them to really play their hearts out. But I've got Ohio State winning this game 45 to 20. I, I don't think Penn State's going to look too good in this game at all. I think it's going to be a scary Halloween night for the team. Caleb, who you got? I am taking Ohio State as well. Closer though, 41-31. So Penn State will cover the 12-point spread in my opinion. Um, I think almost because they have to, Penn State will play better in this matchup, better than they did against Indiana. Um, the last two games in Happy Valley, I know there are fans for those games, but they were two of the best games of recent memory. Obviously, Penn State shocking and upsetting Ohio State to uh, return to relevancy in the Big Ten. And then two years ago, unfortunately, um, was that a uh, JT Barrett or Dwayne Haskins leading them. I think it was Dwayne Haskins, you know, leading them from that, I think it was a 12 point deficit, something like that in the fourth quarter, two straight touchdown drives and the horrendous fourth and five run call to, for Penn state to try to keep the season alive, to keep that game alive for some reason, when they only needed a field goal to win the game, they were down, you know, two or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, Miles um, Sanders only fumble on the season. Yep. Unfortunately, but yeah, I'll take um, Ohio State, yeah, 41-31. I do think if Kirk Soraka and the offense can do what they did on some of their drives last week and just, you know, do some ball control, I think this can be a low-scoring game. And when you have a low-scoring game, you know, if you don't give Justin Fields as many opportunities, that's how you, I think, you know, you pull off these upset wins when the Penn State upset Ohio State four years ago. What was it like 24 20, right? 24 21, something like that. So I think a low scoring game, if the Penn State can control the ball on offense, not have those turnovers, uh, run the ball effectively enough, you know, maybe they can pull off this upset. The last time I think we were this down on Penn State against Ohio State win, uh, game was four years ago when they pulled off the upset. Maybe they mm-hmm. can do it again, but right now we're both picking Ohio State. Yeah. Well, Caleb, I mean, been about an hour and a half we got a lot of conversation on uh college football today it was good stuff man yeah i tried to keep the other games short because you know not as many because i knew we talked a lot about the penn state game and we still went long yeah i mean who knows maybe i don't know maybe we can talk about this uh, off air sometime but maybe we can revisit our our quarantine segment and see how we can abbreviate that too but i mean mm-hmm. overall i still had fun and uh, I hope if you're listening to this podcast, you're enjoying it as well. You know, we're just two buddies that love talking about college football. And uh, I'm sure our wives appreciate that we don't talk to them about it. So, uh, you know, if you like the podcast, we hope you'll subscribe, share it with your friends. And uh, at the very least, if you don't agree with everything you say, at least, or if you don't agree with everything we say, it gives you something to talk about and uh, something to, you know, something to drive as you work, work to prove us wrong. Caleb, any final words of wisdom before we sign off? Go and vote.